warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you have um, had a good week. And now it's Friday and we've got the weekend ahead of us. And, of course, Thanksgiving coming up next week. So there's lots to celebrate. Hopefully you're uh, finding yourself in a place of deep, deep gratitude. I think it's always good to be flexing the gratitude muscle and to do it all day, every day. And let the Lord know how grateful we are for his sustaining grace and mercy and kindness. And there's uh, many reasons not to worry because the same God who created in life, who created life in you uh, is the same God that you can trust with the details of your life. And there's many that you have and he can be trusted with all of them. Um, So, and worrying of course is more harmful than it is helpful. And God does not ignore those who depend on him. He is listening. So, uh, take your troubles to him. Do not worry. Um, do your best to take whatever burden you have and hand it over. Give it to him and trust him for the results. Just live one day at a time, and that will keep us from being consumed with worry. All right, my friend Alex McFarland is uh, on our studio line, so I do not want to keep him waiting, uh, but I will make him wait 60 seconds. We'll be right back with Dr. Alex McFarland. man hardly ever wants to interrupt that music, but I guess I will because my time with Dr. Alex McFarland is short, so let's bring him on. Alex, how are you? I'm doing great, Bill. Thanks for all that great surf guitar music of course. that you play for me. Yes. How has your week been, and how are you processing all the details of your life? Oh, well, the Lord is good. You know, um, two weeks ago, we talked because you and I have the privilege of talking about every other Friday, and I, w- I just want to give God the glory. Since you and I last talked, we've been in Florida, Ohio, and Maryland, and we had one of our big national conferences, Truth for a New Generation, in Cincinnati. It was amazing. I was in several schools in Florida. I was in a couple of churches. I uh, went by a Fox News studio and did an interview on Kanye West. And uh, then that became an article that was on foxnews.com. And then we had Truth for New Generation in Cincinnati, Josh McDowell, Erwin Lutzer, a lot of great speakers. Then I flew to Maryland and got to preach in a couple of places, saw some young people get saved. Uh, uh, Bill got to lead a lady to the Lord. I would say she was probably in her late 60s, maybe early 70s. And she said, you know, I've been a song leader. I've been in church, but I've never accepted Christ, and I'm really afraid I need to get saved. And it was just a privilege to share the gospel with her and see her open her heart to Jesus. So it's been busy, but God is so good. And I love what you said on that break about this time of year um, being grateful. And and I just feel like I have so much for which to be thankful, Bill. Your spirit is always one of gratitude, and that's one of the nicest things uh, you you model is gratitude. So thank you for that. So can we back up a little bit, hit rewind, yeah, yeah. And, and talk about this um, Fox interview you did on Kanye? Yeah, um, many people might be aware that Kanye West has released an album called Jesus is King. And uh, Bill, have you listened to it? I have not. I've, I've heard part of one song, but that's been about it. Yeah, and um, you know, I mean, I'm I'm 55, so the you know, rap music is not my forte exactly, but the lyrics are just explicitly Christian, overwhelmingly Christian. And the funny thing, okay, I was in a high school to speak a week ago, and 
I asked the, this high school group, I said, how many are familiar with Kanye and his gospel album? Well, 100% of the students raised their hand. Wow. I said, how many have listened to every song on the album and you've really intentionally like listened to the words? Well, it was like 98.9% of all the audience. And I guess I would say this. When I was on Fox, um, they asked me, they said, you know, some some people say he's not for real. And what do you think about that? And I said, well, you know, only the Lord knows another person's heart. You know, if you read like Jeremiah 17, uh, I mean, only God knows our heart. I, I certainly don't know another man's heart. I barely know my own heart. But he seems to be very sincere. He has said over and over that he... You know, um, he's going to stand for Christ and his word. He doesn't care what it does or doesn't do for the career. And let me tell you, to take a bold stand for Jesus Christ in this culture now, um, hey, there's a lot of pushback on that, against that, rather. And so I said, from everything I, the, the song lyrics, his, you know, demeanor and his message and all these interviews, I think the guy loves Jesus and he's trying to get people saved. And, you know, leave it to God. You know, we everybody's been praying for revival. And leave it to God to begin to ignite a work in, in ways that maybe some of us didn't expect. And I said, hey, praise God. Go Kanye. Keep on preaching the word. So, I mean, young people are listening. He's got the ear of many, many people. And he's talking about Jesus. And everything he says is biblically sound as far as I can tell. And... I I applaud the man. Yeah, probably a good idea that we, when the Spirit prompts us to pray for him and the message that he might be able to extend to so many who will listen to him, and also that he has some harmony at home, because I don't know if his wife is embracing his Christianity. Exactly, exactly. And, um, you know, that's, you know, uh, Kim Kardashian... um, that's that's something too. Let's pray f- that uh, the Spirit of God and the, this fidelity to Jesus will touch all of His family. And, and I, oh, go ahead, Alex. Um, we we really we do need a move of God. And let me say this: to take a stand for Christ can cost you. I mean, nowadays, as as much as our climate has, you know, become so polarized about. Uh, sexuality and gender and uh, morality. Listen, if if you really stand for Jesus, um, you might lose friends, you might lose customers, you might lose a lot of things. But the Bible is clear that, you know, if we lose the whole world but gain Christ, we've won a great victory. If we gain the whole world but lose Christ, we've lost everything. So um, he seems to be very, very... um, willing to, well, I'll put it this way, Bill. He seems to have um, appreciated the cost that he might lose a lot in terms of his batting average in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And and he says, look, I work for Jesus now. I love that. what he says. Yeah, I love that. And one takeaway I already have from Kanye is he is expressing his Christian beliefs in a very secular society and is doing it boldly. So what a great um, inspiration for me today. Well, amen. And and you know what? Look, we all have goals and dreams, and we're we're also a very materialistic society. And you know, I'm as guilty as anybody. We we want things, and uh, 
you know, I, I've met people in the music industry. I've met some people in the entertainment industry. And, um, you know, about 15 years ago, just by a series of circumstances, I was with somebody who had just won a Grammy Award. And um, we had a long private pastoral talk. And this person said, you know, I'd give everything I've ever done to know that my father loved me. And I think, you know, listen, you can get everything you've ever wanted and then you realize, wow, I, I still have this empty place in my soul. Because there is there is a, a, a void in each of our hearts that can only be filled by Jesus. C.S. Lewis said this, Bill, that if we have an infinite hole in our soul, only something infinite can fill it. And that's the Lord. And so wouldn't it be amazing, and I realize this would be a miracle, but wouldn't it be amazing if God sent an incredible revival, a move of the Spirit into the entertainment industry and people were, you know, willing to say, look, hey, um, I'm going to stand for God's Word. And Kanye West is doing that. I pray he uh, continues you know, in John 8, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you are my disciple indeed. So let, let's hope that he stays with the stuff and God raises up others who will too. That is a worthy prayer, Alex. Let me take a short break. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. He's a religion and culture expert and creator of the Truth for a New Generation Conference. You can go to alexmcfarland.com. We'll be right back. We are back with Dr. Alex McFarland. He's a regular guest on my show and friend, and I just love talking to him. Now, Alex, I didn't follow all the details that happened this week on this Chick-fil-A story. I know that they had pulled some charitable funding from some Christian groups. I don't know what they're doing. Can you help us process this? Well, God bless you. Thank you. In fact, Bill, I was hoping that you and I could uh, talk about this a little bit. Let me go back just a, a little bit to a month ago when it was my privilege to speak at an FCA banquet. Uh, and I'm going to give a thought here in a second, but um, I was asked to speak at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes fundraising dinner, and I was happy to do that. So I did that, and that was in a, a city a couple hours from where I live. And they had testimonies from a lot of young people, Bill. And FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, is a Christian ministry that's been around for quite a number of decades. Um, I think they're based out of Kansas City, actually. But um, there were a number of teens that gave testimonies and some of them were really heartrending because kids would say, look, I don't have any family and I go home to an empty house and I live with a grandparent or my mother's been on drugs. And, you know, FCA is the family that I didn't have. You know, I I'm, sometimes I'm unsupervised for days at a time, but I know my FCA chapter is like my family and I, I found the Lord and I've got people who are looking out for me and I just don't know what I would do if it weren't for FCA. You know, a lot of people were giving testimonies. And that really moved me. So this week when I hear that Chick-fil-A is pulling funding from FCA and the Salvation Army. Now, a lot of people don't know this. The Salvation Army really is a church, and they do a lot. You know, they've got 
you know, clothes closets and food kitchens, and they've got homeless shelters. But Salvation Army chapters have churches, and it's been my privilege to preach at a number of Salvation Armies uh, around the country. Now, here's the thing, and listen, um, I know there's a lot of people coming to Chick-fil-A's defense and a lot of people that aren't. But I want to say this. I was profoundly disappointed this week, Bill, that Chick-fil-A, the president, said that they were not going to support groups who didn't have, who didn't accept diversity in their views about human sexuality. Now, we've talked, folks, we've talked about this on this show and others, that there is morality and there's religion. The First Amendment prohibition against the establishment of religion in no way means that we're supposed to disregard morality. And homosexual activity is, as everybody from Aristotle to Aquinas to, you know, Mother Teresa, homosexual activity is immoral, and the Word of God says it. It's against nature, um, and people can engage in homosexual activity but what we can't as a culture or shouldn't as a culture do is throw morality under the bus merely to placate some political activists. Now, Chick-fil-A has caved in. And Bill, do you remember in 2012 when LGBT activists had boycott Chick-fil-A and some Christians said, well, look, let, let's show support for Chick-fil-A Day. And it was the biggest day in the history of the American restaurant industry, mm-hmm. 10 you know, I remember I was teaching at a university, and we took several busloads of kids, waited three hours to eat a Chick-fil-A sandwich. And, and you know, I feel like the church has had Chick-fil-A's back. And now that Chick-fil-A has caved in, I'm going to say this. Chicken is the operative word. Hmm. And filet must mean without a backbone because they have rolled over and caved in. Last thing I'll say, and I'll throw to you. Now, folks, listen to this. Do we love people? Yeah, we do. Is it a free country? You can do whatever you want? Sure. But what we we shouldn't do just to placate people with deviant lifestyles is throw out morality. And the LGBTQ trans thugs have intimidated Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A, after decades of support from you know, people who actually do believe in morals, conservatives and Christians, Chick-fil-A has caved. And and I guess I would say this, no more funding for Salvation Army and FCA. Do you understand, and Bill, I want your response, the LGBT movement that supposedly is all about tolerance, do you see how they've made the world a less caring place? Because it's like Chick-fil-A... Uh, we're going to give you an ultimatum. You bow down and do what we say, or we're going to continue to get you banned from airports. We're going to continue to get you banned from major cities. So Chick-fil-A says, oh, we give, we give. You know, we held out as long as we could. You know, we won't give money to the Salvation Army. Now, here's the one last thing. The president of Chick-fil-A, in, in cowardice and hypocrisy, he says we're we're committed more than ever to help the homeless and disenfranchised. Well, you're committed to help the homeless and disenfranchised, so you pull your funding from the, the group at the absolute forefront of helping the homeless and disenfranchised, the Salvation Army. Um, 
And the odd thing, last Saturday at our big national conference in Cincinnati, as we've done for 22 years, the meal was catered Saturday by Chick-fil-A. Not going to be next time. Mm. Um, Chick-fil-A, Christians have had your back, but now we've been thrown under the bus. Hey, fair enough. Yeah, there was a conversation that Franklin Graham had with Dan Cathy, uh, and Apparently, according to uh, Franklin Graham, Dan was very clear that they had not bowed down to anyone's demands, including the LGBTQ community. Now, I don't know how to parse that out, but um, that was the conversation between Franklin Graham and Dan Cathy. Well, then restore the funding to FCA and the Salvation Army. Yeah, that'd be a wise move. Yeah, I mean, um, that, I suppose that's what I would say, too, if I was trying to save face in front of, you know, the American people that um, are smart enough to recognize. Look, Chick-fil-A, and, and watch this. I want to make a prediction. November 22nd of 2019, the next domino that's going to fall, they're going to start opening on Sunday. Hmm. Um, so, you know... Um, Look, when when you sell out, it's a slippery slope. And if money rather than values are your main motivator, hey, it, it's 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 fine. I mean, they're free to do that. Um, I, I completely acknowledge they're free to do that, just like Christians everywhere are completely free to spend their money at places where they believe the the foundation that our nation stands on will be affirmed, not undermined. Mm-hmm. And folks, let me just say this. I love people. I don't hate anybody. I've had everybody in my home from atheists to Muslims to cultists, and we, we live for Jesus and we love everybody. But here's the thing. Even atheists, ha- they have a vested interest in maintaining morality because, look, our Constitution that defends all of our freedoms— it only makes sense, it's only defensible and operable in a culture that recognizes moral absolutes. And what I would say to those that are you know, struggling with same-sex attraction or gender confusion, if you want to be gay or transgender, knock yourself out, do it. But what we can't let you do or shouldn't let you do is tear down the framework that gives you the freedom to safely walk around as a non-heterosexual, and that is a moral foundation. The good news is you can do whatever you want to do with your life. The The bad news is, at least the, the, the reality check is, you're going to have to recognize that if you want a free, safe, prosperous America, you have to tolerate what gave us a free, safe, prosperous America. And that was, as Dr. King said, the Judeo-Christian moral code. Um, Chick-fil-A was helping to defend it. Now, not so much. Um, and... They they caved to the LGBTQ trans thugs who say, do what we say or we'll continue to fight you. Um, but, Bill, I'll say this and I'll hush. I've gone too long. What we need to say lovingly but decisively to any of those groups, well, you know what? Hey, I understand you want to try to undermine our ability to make a living because you disagree with our morals. I, we understand that. But you know what? LGBT trans Q Activists, some things are just not for sale, like our soul. 
All right, Alex, I, I appreciate that. And we just have uh, two minutes left, and there's an article that came out about an Illinois school district forcing females to share a locker room with biological males who identify as girls. Now, when you hear these stories, how do you process this? We only have two minutes. Well, you know, we're in a time of um, what's called uh, enforced egalitarianism. And, um, Bill, I think about the book of Romans that says, you know, when they um, rejected God and moral knowledge, the law of God, even the Gentiles who didn't have the oracles of God like the Jews did, the Gentiles, by instinct, did the things prescribed by Exodus 20. We know lying, murder, stealing is wrong. We know adultery, fornication is wrong because it's a law written on our hearts. And ultimately, a a culture, Jew, Gentile, or any, that forgets God, it says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Now, we're a foolish culture that we, you know, we we don't have the intellect or the moral temerity to say, by the way, boys and girls are different. Little boys are made differently than little girls. But see, we're... And this goes back to the French atheist Jean-Paul Sartre and his atheist common-law wife, Simone de Bouvier, this egalitarianism that men and women are not at all different. And to a a relativist, secularist, egalitarian, boys and girls can share the same changing room. And if if you think guys, you know, should not have to look, uh, a girl should not have to look at a naked male and vice versa, modesty, propriety, discretion. See, you're repressed and you're Victorian and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, no, Alex, we, I hate, we've got to have some I hate, boundaries. I hate to say we're out of time, but we're out of time. Well, God bless you. Bill. God Thanks bless for, you. Uh, standing for truth, as you and the Faith Radio Network so wonderfully do. I love you, brother. Dr. God Alex McFarland has been my guest. We'll take a short break, and then we'll be joined by Arlene. to have a chance to welcome Arlene Pelicane back to the program. She's a speaker and an author. She's got a ton of impressive credits. I could read them all, but that would eat up most of our time. So let's just bring her on to the program. Arlene, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Bill. It would take like two seconds, really, and then it'd be done. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've written many books, uh, Parents Rising, 31 Days to a Happy Husband, and Calm, Cool, and Connected, Five Digital Habits for a More Balanced Life. I could go on and on, right? Yes, but you've got it. Those are some of them, for sure. Those are some good ones. You've had some nice TV credits. Today's show, Fox & Friends, Focus on the Family. Way to go. Thank you. And you live in San Diego, which makes me very jealous. And your website is ArlenePelicane.com. Yeah, it's very strange. We're in the part of the country where my daughter can rollerblade to school still. (laughs) That's so awesome. Well, you know, as we're coming up on Thanksgiving next week, it's it's always important to uh, be in a Grateful spirit. We should be in a grateful spirit all the time, but you wrote this great devotional I would love for you to talk about uh, from Luke 17 with the 10 lepers. Only one came back to give thanks. Yeah, you look at that and you think, okay, there's a story that is in the Bible, in the book of Luke, where Jesus tells these 10 lepers. So just think these are 10 people who have never been able to be part of society. They've always had to say unclean, unclean, like they can't be with their family members. They can't be with their friends because they have this disease. And Jesus says, go to the priest and show yourself to the priest and you'll be made well. So like if you travel to the priest, because the priest is going to be the one to check you out, give you the thumbs up, like you're healed. So 
so as these men were going, they were healed. So here they're traveling to the priest and all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, look at, look at you. You look fabulous. Look at me. I look fabulous. <laughs> you know, this is amazing. Like we were lepers and, and, and look at our skin is, is like a baby now, you know, they're, they're seeing this. And so only one though of the 10 goes back to Jesus to say thank you. You know, and I think about at a at a party like with little children, how you'll give everyone a piece of cake or everyone a goodie bag. And there'll only be one kid, usually one little kid with glasses on, that's like, thank you very much for having me at your party. You know, and you're like, <laughs> whoa, who has raised you to be so grateful? You know, so it's kind of inherent in us just to kind of keep going, but not necessarily stop to say thank you. And you know what? I don't fault those nine lepers because you think about it, like if, if I had been with leprosy all that time and all of a sudden I see myself healed, I want to go to the priest. I want to get my certificate that says I'm free and clear. I want to go see my family and go out to a restaurant and like be with people again. So, so I don't fault them in that sense. I think we're all in a hurry to get to that next place that really might be worthy to get to. But along the way, when kindness is shown to us, when God breaks in and he does something in our lives, you know, let's not hurry past that. Let's pause and like that one leper go back. Now that cost him something because all of a sudden everyone's headed to the priest, but he had to go the other direction. You know, it's just like, this is counterproductive and who knows, maybe Jesus wouldn't be there. You know, so he's kind of taking a chance, like mm -hmm. I I'm going to go back. So he takes a chance. He goes back. And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. So not only is he physically well, now his soul is made well. Jesus is saying, look, there were 10 people, but you're the only one to come back. And of course, the hero of the story, as Jesus loves to do, is the underdog. It's the Samaritan. It's the person right. that would have been the least likely to come back, that the audience would have said, not that guy, not that dirty scumbag, you know, the Samaritan. Right. But he's the one that comes back and the Jewish men are the ones that don't come back in the story. So how interesting that sometimes the people we think will say thank you just go on and the people we would never think, you know, they're not going to be grateful. They may be the ones to be grateful. So let's us make that choice. Let's be the ones to be grateful at Thanksgiving, but at other times of the year as well. You know, Arlene, this story is so rich and you've really found some wonderful nuggets. I mean, can you imagine traveling to try to find Jesus and how, do right. you, how would you track him down? How would you yes. know where to look for him? Right. There's no phone, right? There's no, not there's like no, you can't text him saying, can you <laughs> yeah, just stay exactly. put for two hours? Right. I'll come back and say thank you. So, yeah. yeah, there is a big wild card factor. Will I even go back? Will I find him? Yeah. Um, and yet this Samaritan man goes back at, he didn't care. He was going back to say thank you. Yeah. And the way he was rewarded is just so wonderful. And you know what, Bill, as you say that, it makes me think maybe there's someone in our lives that we need to thank, that we'd like to thank, but we don't know where they are. So we just kind of give up before we try. But maybe it's, hey, you know, he, we live in the technological age that you go and you kind of Google your first grade teacher mm -hmm. so that you can tell her, I turned out okay. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> yeah. for hanging in there with me. That That's a good thing to do at Thanksgiving time, to think back on who has influenced me, who has touched me, who has made my life richer. And let me try to find them to say thank you. You know, Arlene, gratitude can sometimes be complicated because there are people that you would like to express gratitude towards that may not be good at receiving it. You know what that's mm -hmm. like, don't you? Absolutely. You know, thanks, so that you... thanks for that yeah, dinner. Ah, uh, nothing. Nothing. That was nothing. Right. 
Going, no, it's really good, you know, and all of a sudden you find yourself in this little argument. <laughs> right, exactly. So if you're the person that's like, oh, it was nothing, you know, all you have to do is learn those two words like you're welcome. Yes. All you have to say is you're welcome. You don't have to tell us like how it was so cheap or how it was so easy or, you know, how it was no effort at all for you, but just say you're welcome. And if you're the one saying thank you, keep saying thank you. Don't give up. <laughs> It's so true. And when I think of certain passages, like the one I often think of is in Philippians uh, chapter 4, and it's a famous verse that we all love, where it says, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, and then those two words show up in the verse, mm-hmm. with thanksgiving. thanksgiving. I think a lot of us go to God um, scared, angry, yeah, and we're asking uh, for we're asking for something, but we're not doing it with thanksgiving. Mm. Um, yeah. So. I, I yeah, find- and I, I think of like a parent, like let's say your child wants to ask for a backpack or whatever, you know, but if they're asking like, I need a backpack. Everybody else has a better backpack than me. Can you get me one? Or like, mom, everything's falling out. Can you get me a backpack? But when they come with the attitude of like, hey, mom you know, thanks so much. I know you always take care of the things that I need. And I just want to let you know, my backpack's got a hole in it. So whenever you have a chance, we kind of have to do something about that. Like that feels different than the whining or complaining or demanding. So I think that is such a good reminder to come to God with that framework of, I thank you that you're going to get me through this. I thank you that you already have the solution to this. I thank you that you're going to shape me and mold me. We don't have to say, thank you. I have a disease. Awesome. You know, no, but we can say, thank you, God, that you're going to help me through this and then let him know what you need. So Arlene, where does entitlement come in, in all of this? Cause there's certain, certainly people that feel entitled, particularly kids that go, well, I need this new backpack. You've got to get this for me. Yeah. All the other kids have the cool ones and I need the cool one. I think the the antidote is humility, like instead of being entitled to have a more humble spirit and the way we can, you know, and this is for us as adults and for kids. And we live in an age where this is super hard for kids because everything is instantly at their fingertips, you know, so with their technology, they don't have to wonder, oh, there's nothing on TV I want to watch now. Like no child on earth has probably ever (laughs) wondered that because they're like, oh, I can stream, you know, one of 200 choices immediately. So kids are used to getting what they want when they want. And that makes them entitled because they get it instantly. They have a lot of choice. And frankly, they don't get a lot of pushback from their parents. So that's really breeding an entitled person so that when we're at the restaurant and there's a little delay, you know, little Johnny's like complaining and going crazy because we had to wait 15 minutes, you know, and you're thinking, this is not a big deal. Like you need to calm down. But they're so used to in the technological age getting exactly what they want very quickly. And so one way to fight that entitlement is to lower the screen use, is to when they ask for the latest and the greatest, you know, for Christmas, that you say, well, maybe, but then you realize that you say to yourself, yeah, in five years, buddy, you know, I read, I can't remember which Silicon Valley insider it was. I think it was Chris Anderson, now that I'm thinking about it, the former editor of Wired, but his five kids, he, they never, they didn't get a cell phone until high school and they always got a used cell phone. I love that. They always got a hand-me-down. No one ever got a new phone. So I think if we as families 
have that mindset, instead of giving our kids the latest, the greatest, exactly when they want it, we will have less of that entitlement. Mm-hmm. Arlene, don't you think gratitude should be one of our strongest spiritual muscles? It's something that we're, yeah. we're so used to doing and exercising and having uh, be in play every day of our lives that gratitude just should come easily. It should be one of those muscles, absolutely, because it is, you know, I think of, you know, we want to know the will of God. God's what, what is your will? And First Thessalonians 5 tells us that it is rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So we know without a shadow of a doubt, you don't have to wonder, does God want me to be thankful? You know, is this a spiritual discipline? No, this is like a foundational thing that God wants us to be thankful. The children of Israel, when they're wandering through the desert, what's their huge problem? It's grumbling. You know, they're complaining. So it's the antithesis of being thankful. And that's why they're not entering the promised land. So this whole Thanksgiving thing is not just nice on Turkey Day. This is a really important spiritual discipline. But like you said, it's a muscle and it can atrophy. Mm -hmm. And if it's been a long time since you said thank you to God, if it's been a long time since you were grateful in your disposition and your prayer life and journaling and anything, then you know, oh, that gratitude muscle is very weak. And not only do we need to be grateful toward people, but to be grateful toward God. And that's, you know, so like, how do you become grateful toward God more? And I think part is memorizing scripture, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, like putting that in your mind so that your brain is thinking about it and noodling over it. And then just listen to yourself as you're praying, just to make sure it's not a Santa list always. Right. But that it is all, it has the thank yous sprinkled through there. I think that's really important. Okay, Arlene, we're going to take a break here in a couple minutes. But if we have complaining as our first conversational instinct, which is never good. I can be that way from time to time, like every day. <laughs> um, so how can I replace those grumblings with gratitude? You know, I have a friend, Trisha Goyer, who has written a new book called The Grumble-Free Year. And what she did, she took her family of 11 and committed to not grumbling for one full year as an experiment. You know, so of course, some of it was successful, some of it wasn't. But for the most part, they really learned not to grumble. But one of the things that I thought was neat that I that worked for me was she has this little bracelet and it just says grumble free. And so they put on this little bracelet. And, and so I did it. I put on her little bracelet. And, and when I wanted to grumble during the day, I looked down at that bracelet and it said grumble free. And I was like, oh, I have to keep my mouth shut. And you know what? A lot of it is just stopping yourself and being quiet. So when you want to complain about the traffic, about the thing that's late, about that your daughter who's so annoying, whatever it is, you want to complain, but instead you're like, nope, just going to be quiet. Like, it's so simple, but I think simply being quiet and letting the moment pass without complaining, that is a great first step to grumbling less. I love that. Arlene Pelican is my guest. We are going to take a little break now, but we will be back in 90 seconds. Back to the show. Awfully glad to be chatting once again with Arlene Pelican. She's an author, and she has written a number of books, including uh, Parents Rising, 31 Days to a Happy Husband, and Calm, Cool, and Connected, Five Digital Habits for a More Balanced Life. As we're talking about 
a beautiful passage in Luke 17 on the 10 lepers. And only one came, came back to give thanks, and that was the foreigner, interestingly enough, the Samaritan, the foreigner. And we are approaching Thanksgiving this week and trying to cultivate a deeper spirit of gratitude because it just is not automatic, is it? It's not automatic. And, you know, and thinking about this foreigner, he's healed and he comes back and he praises God in a loud voice. And I just think that's great because, you know, we get excited about things, whether it's football or Black Friday sales or a kid getting an A finally in school or whatever. So I think it's good when we think about thanking God, like to have that measure of excitement, like, look what God has done for me. And whether that's you shouting in a praise song or whether that is you telling your friends, you wouldn't believe what God did for me, you know, but for us to have that kind of excitement. And the Bible tells us that this former leper threw himself at Jesus's feet and thanked him. And I think, you know, whether that is something physical we do that we can kneel at Thanksgiving and on other days and just say, Lord, thank you so much. But I, I love that picture of throwing yourself at Jesus's feet to say thank you. And here's Jesus asking, wait a minute, weren't there 10 people, but only one of you came back? So, you know, just think about it. If Jesus were to ask, wait a minute, haven't I done all these great things for all these people? But who came back and just ask yourself, was I the one to come back? You know, did, did I remember to come back? And and of course, this is happening all the time as God does things in your life and just keep coming back to say thank you. I love that. I love the spirit of gratitude that we're talking about uh, today. And I just um, am inspired to think that when you um, remind people like you are doing right now, Arlene, to have a spirit of gratitude, it is going to change the way your body and soul could feel. I mean, because you can walk around feeling a little bit exhausted or overwhelmed or a little toxic, and that might be a good time to put the dipstick in and say, what's the uh, the gratitude level like? And if it's really, really low, there could be some toxicity as a result. Yeah, that they show that different studies that grateful people are more resilient they're less lonely, less likely to be depressed. They sleep better, et cetera. And that makes sense because when you're grateful, you're content. You're like, I'm good. But the opposite of being ungrateful, it's like, I don't have enough. No one's doing this for me. I can't believe you did that. You know, I'm a victim. Those are the things that, that come <laughs> uh-huh. against it. And then, of course, your body stresses out. Your stress goes up and you're not sleeping well and you're tossing and turning and you're worried. So just that idea that, wait a minute, great gratitude is good for my spirit, but it's also good for my physical body. And, you know, I love to think of it as a vitamin, vitamin G. So instead of vitamin grumbling, that one we eat like really easily, but vitamin G as in gratitude, it's like, Maybe if you just literally, you know, one of my friends joke, like it's an M&M, that's vitamin G <laughs> as in gratitude, <laughs> but don't pop yeah. that. But, but have just even a thought that like, wait a minute, I, I need to up the gratitude in my life. Maybe I'm a little down. Maybe I'm feeling sour. I'm kind of, you know, it's gray. It's cloudy. I feel kind of depressed. Who can I show gratitude towards? How can I thank God in this moment? And I'm telling you, if you will do that, your mood will lift and you will feel better and you'll be a blessing to those around you. Arlene, this almost sounds like a, a, a love language or a compatibility um, issue where you probably learn this at your mama's knee, don't you? Learning how to be grateful and how to say thank you and always mm. to, to be concerned that you are appre- showing appreciation for yeah. people who are doing nice things for you. And yes. If, you know, if someone doesn't express that same level of concern about gratitude, it can be probably an issue in a relationship, can it? 
It can. So of course, what we have watched and what we have modeled that shapes us. But let's say you didn't have a wonderful model of gratitude. What's so lovely is you're listening right now and you can say, okay, well today I am going to say thank you to God and I'm going to express thank you to my boss or to a teacher that helped me or to a neighbor, whatever, that this is a skill that can be learned, that you can pick up on this later. And in fact, um, I was reading an article, so you can always be reading about it or thinking about it, studying the Bible, et cetera. And this article was saying, when you receive something, not only, you know, it's, it's natural for us to say to someone, oh, thank you, Bill. Thank you. That was very nice. But to just pause and think, well, what did it cost this person to give me this item? So for instance, I got um, a bouquet of flowers really nicely arranged um, for my birthday a little bit ago for my friend. And so of course I say, thank you. But then I take a moment, I pause and I think, wait a minute, what did it cost for her to do this? She had to go to the store, pick out the, it was like a really pretty picture. And then she had to buy the flower. She had to arrange them just right. She had to come over, deliver them. So then you realize that costs you a lot of time and effort and creativity. And then it makes you, it kind of cultivates that gratitude that you realize that was really kind. Like that cost you everything. I didn't have to pay anything and I get the full benefit. So if we'll just take that pause to think, okay, what did this, what did it cost the giver? And that just helps our, our gratitude to grow even stronger. Mm-hmm. Uh, Psalm 100 verse 4 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving Mm -hmm. and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. We should be memorizing that verse and reciting it every day. And that's not when you feel like it. Right. It's not like come when you feel thankful, when the bank account is full and the turkey is fat, you know, come with thanksgiving. (laughs) But it's come. You know, because you can always say thank you for Jesus. You can always say thank you for the Holy Spirit living in you. You can always say thank you to God the Father who gave his son. You can always. So that's that idea of I will will it. I won't just wait till I feel right. I will make a choice and give thanks. Mm -hmm. So as the family is going to be gathering, Arlene, around the Thanksgiving table, and I'm not speaking about your family in specifics, but families in general, and maybe the kids are so attached to their screens that they don't even want to give up the screen time to come eat the Thanksgiving dinner that's been so beautifully prepared by loved ones. Yeah. So go ahead, parents, grandparents, you get yourself a nice basket and you tell kids from birth to in their (laughs) 20s, put the device right here. And no matter what you say, that's how it's going to go. And you know what? Your kids, grandkids might be like, oh, eye rolls, unhappy. But they're listening. Um, There was an article in the Wall Street Journal about the power of retelling stories. And, you know, they may seem like they're not listening to the stories over the dinner table at Thanksgiving at other times, but they are like 90 percent of them could recount what they heard at the dinner table. And it really helped them. So don't be afraid, even if it feels unpopular to say no devices. We're going to have fun this Thanksgiving. We're going to talk to each other and tell stories. And that is a very good thing. Mm-hmm. And in your article, you you have a beautiful little reflect and respond. And it might be worth telling this story um, at, the, at the table about Luke 17. And then just simply ask people, are you one of the nine who moved on? Or do you yes. think you would have been one of the ones that would have gone back and shown your appreciation? And just That's great. Put them on the spot in a nice way. 
Exactly. And then it's true. And then you can laugh and be like, yep, I'd be one of the nine. I mean, you know, there's it's it's the honesty that comes around the table. And then that paves the way then to say, like, well, who would you like to say thank you to? And then it kind of goes goes around that way. And, you know, there are all sorts of things you can do with older kids. You could everyone could sit down with a sheet of paper and a pencil. Imagine that and could write a thank you note, everyone, adults included, and say, hey, you know what, let's just take five minutes and write a thank you note to someone maybe currently in our life or maybe a past coach or a past teacher that we want to say thank you to. Like, wouldn't that be so nice to receive a note like that after Thanksgiving from someone? So that could be something that you do. Another thing that's fun for little kids is grateful hot potato where you could take a potato or a ball or whatever, but you sit in a circle or, or stand in a circle and you throw it. And when you receive it, you say something you're grateful for and you have to not say the same thing twice or else you're out. And that's just a fun way for little kids to play and to start realizing, Hey, this gratitude thing is fun. Yeah. And it is something that we want to be cultivating in kids today. Do you have uh, a quick recommendation for a way to get started in, in cultivating this gratitude in kids or yeah. grandkids? I think it's modeling it. Okay. So when they hear you say, oh, honey, thanks so much for making the dinner. It was really delicious. Oh, you know, thank you so much. You t- made that extra trip to the grocery store so I wouldn't have to go out again. Thank you. So they constantly are hearing this thank you, thank you, thank you. That's so good. Because then as they grow up, they're going to thank people for doing different things. Uh, Whenever my children receive gifts, I always insist you must write a thank you note. And so like at birthdays and such, you know, it might take six weeks (laughs) for it to happen, but it eventually happens. So training your kids when someone does something kind for you, let's acknowledge what they've done. Let's send them a snail mail thank you note. Um, So I think modeling training, um, giving opportunities, and then just pointing out when good things do happen to them, when someone does express and do a kind act towards them to, to kind of park there. Say, you know what? Commander, my sons and Royal Rangers at church, it's like Boy Scouts in church. And, you know, those commanders, that's what they call them, the leaders, like the troop leaders, you know, they're so faithful. They come every Wednesday when it's time for campouts. They work so hard. So, you know, you just kind of camp there a little bit. Well, bomb, no pun intended. And say <laughs> that that took them a lot of time to do that. Like, wow, that's amazing that they are so committed. And and you just kind of talk about that. So kids and adults realize this stuff just doesn't fall from the sky. It takes effort and it deserves our thanks. Yeah, beautifully said and always a great reminder, especially as we come up upon Thanksgiving this week. Uh, Arlene, thank you so much for doing the show. It's really nice to talk to you. Thank you so much, Bill. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I plan to. Arlene Pelican has been my guest. You can head right to her website, ArlenePelican.com. And we call that a wrap. What a week it's been. I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to meet so many listeners in person Thursday night at the live event with Jeff Redorn. We recorded that event, and we are going to air it Monday at 4 o'clock Central Standard Time. You will enjoy that thoroughly as he taught on the parables of Jesus. So have a great weekend, everyone. It is now time to ring the bell. 888-528-2557. 